0: Good morning. This is Morning Edition on NHPR. I'm Julia Furtukawa in for Rick Ganley, and this is the New Hampshire News Recap. Let's get into the week's top headlines. A meeting of regional energy leaders looks into New England's energy future. And lawmakers race to tie up loose ends before the end of this year's State House session. Joining me now to talk about these stories and more are NHPR's Mara Hoplamazian and the New Hampshire Bulletin's Ethan DeWitt. Welcome, Mara. Good morning. And thanks for being here, Ethan. Good morning. Mara, let's start with you. You drove to Maine earlier this week to listen in on a big forum of folks who pay close attention to regional energy needs. Can you tell us what was going on there?
1: Right. So this is a meeting put together by the Federal Energy Regulatory Commission, or FERC. Um, They brought together energy company executives, state officials, and the organization that runs the New England Power Grid to talk about a few big issues. The theme of the meeting was winter reliability, basically how we keep the lights on when it's cold outside. That can be a challenge in New England because we use a lot of gas to make electricity, but we don't sit on top of any gas. So we have to get it into the region through pipelines, um, or when that's not enough, tankers that transport it as a liquid to facilities that then turn it into gas. Plus, the grid is changing. Next summer, New England's largest fossil fuel plant, the Mystic Generating Station, is closing. And there's a facility near that plant called Everett that turns liquefied gas into the methane gas that it uses. That might have to close also because Mystic is its biggest customer. But some are saying that could be a problem because Everett also provides gas for some other parts of the grid and for home heating. So whether to try and save Everett from closing and how that would happen was one of the big conversations on Tuesday
0: got it and there's been been concerns in past years about keeping the lights on here in the winter so what is the operator saying now what are what are the major concerns
1: Yeah. So the last time this whole group of people met was in September. And the message from the grid operator, ISO New England, was that things were really dire. You know, one federal official described it as, you know, they were saying the sky is falling. But this week, grid officials were more optimistic, at least in the short term. They have a new modeling tool that takes into account weather changes from climate change and also does a better job of accounting for new renewable resources coming online. And ISO New England said that model shows in the next few years the energy shortfalls should be limited during the winter. Even if the Everett station goes away, as long as oil-fired power plants can sort of fill in the gaps. They said the biggest factors leading to that were, you know, the strong growth of solar power, more certainty about offshore wind, fewer power plant retirements, and less growth in energy demand than they previously expected. But they said they're still concerned about winter reliability in the long term. Um, Grid operators say the next step is to look further into the future and do an analysis for 2032 when electricity demand is expected to really take off and more power plants could start retiring. And the federal regulators and other energy officials didn't make any decisions on Tuesday about the Everett facility or anything else. But the discussion was really about, you know, what's the future of the grid here? And of course, I'll keep covering that story.
0: Mm hmm. And Mara, this week, lawmakers agreed on a final version of a bill that would change the way that landfills are approved in the state. The bill is now heading to Governor Kristen Nunu. Can you bring us up to speed on this issue?
1: Sure. So state law currently requires that landfills be a minimum of, of 200 feet away from a body of water. But there have been efforts over the past few years to make that more restrictive and and protect lakes and rivers and other water more from the contaminants that could come out of a landfill. State lawmakers just approved a bill that would direct the Department of Environmental Services to develop new landfill rules that would be specific to the site a landfill is proposed for. Those would take into account things like the kind of soil in the area, how long it takes groundwater to travel to a water body, um, and other factors about the geology and hydrology of the place. Previous efforts to make the landfill law more restrictive have been voted down or vetoed by Governor Sununu, but this one represents kind of a compromise um, and not one that everyone's happy with. Some lawmakers really wanted to include provisions they said would have been more protective, but those were voted down.
0: So I heard you say some past versions of this have been vetoed by Sununu, but do we have a sense of where he stands on this issue? His signature is now the only thing standing in the way of the bill becoming law.
1: Right. So earlier in the session, um, state officials indicated to a committee that was working on the bill that Governor Sununu supported the legislation, but warned them that if they changed it, the bill could lose his support. They did change the bill a little bit, but the sponsor of the main amendment that made those changes, um, Representative Peter Bigsby, said he negotiated the changes with people familiar with what the governor wanted, um, and he thinks it'll be signed.
0: Well, thanks so much for sharing your reporting with us, Mara.
1: Yep. Anytime.
0: You're listening to Morning Edition on NHPR. I'm Julia Furukawa, in for Rick Ganley. We're recapping this week's news with NHPR's Mara Hoplomazian and the New Hampshire Bulletin's Ethan DeWitt. What questions do you have about what's going on in the state? We want to hear from you. You can always email us at voices at nhpr.org. Ethan, we'll turn to you now. Um, We've been following your reporting on the final days of the legislative session this week. Lawmakers already wrapped up the state budget talks last week, but there are still plenty of issues still unresolved. Uh, Can you tell us what you've been watching?
2: Yeah, sure. So just to give the context, we are in kind of a negotiation week right now, um, not, not to put my schoolhouse rock house hat on, but um, essentially every lawmaker starts a bill with an idea. But by the end of the six month period, that, that bill goes through a bunch of different committees, through different uh, houses, through the Senate. um Lots of other lawmakers have other ideas of what to add into that bill. And what happens is you get to the final week in June, and everybody is sort of disagreeing over the details of what has been added in and what should be taken out. And there's often these big standoffs. So, what we're seeing this week are a bunch of mini negotiations, often between the House and the Senate, um, that have broken down in really interesting ways. In some uh, cases, lawmakers have been able to find agreement and actually move forward on a bill. In a lot of cases, some of these bills have just gone up in flames entirely over minor little disagreements uh, between uh, parties. So for instance, um, one bill that was successful um, was a bill, an effort, a last minute effort to add a study commission to look into legalizing cannabis. And this is relevant because last month, Governor Kristin said for the first time that he would be open to legalizing cannabis, but only if it were done in a certain way that um, involves state control of cannabis sales. So the Senate added in a last minute amendment to create a study commission to look into that. Um, they added it to uh, an unrelated bill um, that and the House kind of had objections to the addition there that their bill was related to medical marijuana, which is currently legal in New Hampshire. Um, so that got ironed out. Um, that bill might have fallen if there was an agreement, but that got ironed out. There was another bill that originated in the House uh, that would have banned the. Um, so-called gay panic defense or LGBTQ panic defense this is a defense to uh, murder that is sometimes used um, you know a number of states have banned this but New Hampshire has not essentially the um, lo- the law would prevent somebody from using the fact that um, somebody disclosed their gender identity or sexual orientation as a reason to kind of, Um, bring down their sentencing if they uh, killed that person afterward. So this is something that, again, states have uh, 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 tried to outlaw um, and New, Hampshire, New Hampshire's bill to do so um, had passed the House but been sort of watered down from its original version. And the Senate was trying to restore it to the version that would have really prevented this defense from being used. Um, so after some negotiation, that also came to uh, the finish line uh, in a way that I, it seems like people on, on all sides have been happy with. Um, but there have been some efforts that haven't moved ahead. Um, one effort was a last-minute effort by the Senate to kind of pare back some of the bail reform that the state has seen. Uh, in 2018, uh, New Hampshire passed a very comprehensive effort to try to reduce the number of defendants who are held in jail um because they can't afford bail. And so they passed, they called it bail reform. Um, it had, it's had sweeping effects. There have been a number of uh, people since then, uh, particularly lawmakers in the Senate and um, mostly Republicans, but it's now um, expanded to Democrats who have wanted to pare that back. Uh, and so this week they added in that into uh, an unrelated bill and the House has been uh, very skeptical of that. Effort and that effort uh, went down. So there have been a number of of, of last minute uh, efforts. The last thing I'll mention is there was a bipartisan push to allow for online registration, which is something that a lot of other states allow. Uh, New Hampshire currently doesn't. If you move to a new town or you move into the state, you have to either register to vote by mail or go in in person. Um, The Secretary of State's office has said that they're updating their system and that, that, that New Hampshire residents could do, could register online. So there was an effort to try to put that into law to do that. Um, but the House added in a lot of, uh, another last minute addition that would um, allow towns to be reimbursed for voting machines. And that was something that the Senate couldn't agree with. And so this idea, which might have allowed voter registration by the next presidential primary uh, in February, uh, won't be going ahead. And it's an example of how lawmakers sometimes don't reach this agreement in the end.
0: Got it. Uh, Ethan, you also reported this week on a little notice change in campaign finance laws that was tucked into the state budget. Can you touch on that?
2: Yeah, sure. So effectively, lawmakers put into law um, a they raised the limits that political committees and candidate committees can donate to candidates. So just to set the scene, there are a number of different entities that donate to campaigns. There's individuals, uh, you know, and that's the, those are the ones that people normally think of when they think of campaign donations. Uh, and then there are organizations. So this could be a A a political committee, you know, you might think of a a national PAC, political action committee. Um, It can be a political advocacy organization. This this could be like a nonprofit that um, advocates for certain causes. And then there are candidates themselves who create their own committees. So individuals in New Hampshire are capped, and they're still capped on certain donations. They can donate unlimited amounts to political advocacy organizations, but they can only donate so much to to a candidate directly. And that's why if you look at campaign finance reports, you'll see certain people max out at five thousand dollars. Um, per period in the cycle. Uh, and that's to obviously um, prevent any one person from donating too much. But political committees, who are political advisory committees and political advocacy organizations, they have a different set of rules. And uh, in the budget last week, lawmakers tucked in something that was very last minute, had not gotten a hearing, but was something that Lawmakers on both parties wanted, which was to raise some of the caps that those organizations face in terms of donations. So now, moving forward, those organizations can donate unlimited amounts to campaigns, and also campaigns and candidates can donate unlimited amounts to themselves or to other campaigns. And this is something that lawmakers thought was really important. But election reform advocates are really uh, frustrated at this because they say that New Hampshire should be moving more towards limiting campaign spending and less towards raising those limits. So it was a really interesting debate that really didn't get a lot of public scrutiny because it was added in in the final weeks of the budget.
0: New Hampshire Bulletin's Ethan DeWitt, thank you so much. Glad to be here. And Mara, I'll turn back to you to close us out. You also reported earlier this week about the state's heating assistance programs and some concerns raised about them. Uh, Most people are not thinking about heating their homes this time of year, but the spiking costs last winter have had a lasting impact. Uh, Can you tell us what you found in your reporting?
1: Right. So this past winter was really expensive. And for some folks, getting help with heating bills was a lot harder than it usually is. The state's community action agencies, which are the organizations that distribute fuel assistance, faced some new challenges. There was a big jump in applications. They set up a brand new state-funded program. They were also facing staffing shortages. Um, And I talked to a few people who had to wait a lot longer than in past years for help. They said they went back and forth about paperwork um, that the community action agency said was missing, but it was hard to understand why their applications weren't going through. They waited months to get approved. I talked to one woman whose pipes burst because she ran out of heating oil, um, and the state couldn't provide me with data on turnaround times for those applications. But a welfare coordinator I spoke with said she's got a lot more calls over the winter than normal from people who'd already applied for the state's main program, but were waiting on approvals.
0: Well, thank you so much, Mara. We've been joined today by NHBR's Mara Hoplamazian and the New Hampshire Bulletin's Ethan DeWitt. Thank you both.
1: Thanks for having Thanks, us. Julia.